we'll continue on this afternoon talking about justice in which Jesus Christ, the servant of God, will bring was in the 42nd chapter of Isaiah. And I wanted to elaborate on that a good bit, but something uh, I'm, I don't know. I look back on my notes and trying to see that I go over the terminology of justice, uh, biblical justice, justice with y'all enough for you to understand where we're headed with this. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delighted. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment. In other words, we said that word was more fitly transcribed, ju- justice. Uh, also in the third verse it says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth, uh, justice unto truth. And I think the last one we may may have read in there uh, was the fifth verse, uh, fourth verse. He shall not fail to be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. And we was talking about that using the word justice in place of that word, and justice would bring about judgment, God's biblical divine justice sometimes brings about a justice. Webster defined the word justice as the maintenance or administration of what is just. In actual practice, it's the restoration of equality, making everything uh, as fair, uh, equivalent as possible. It says, what is where we get our idea of fairness is being connected with justice. Remember in Genesis, I think the 18th chapter, the 15th chapter, where Abraham tells the Lord, want the Lord he, that the God of the whole earth would act fair, uh, act with justice, which is what a part of which what, what God is. Keeping on with this definition, you know, justice at, is defined as reasonable, conforming to a standard of correctness acting on conformity with what is morally upright of good. Now, if you look at the secular definition and see it according to what's going on in society, they're not a secular world that's not even living up to the secular definition of justice, of what is fairness, and they're bypassing their standards of law there as they're talking about the constitution uh, different laws within the land we see they suspend those laws and those laws we see more injustice than we do see justice but I told you in God's system of justice in God's realm of apparition justice delayed is not necessarily justice denied but we see here where Jesus is bringing justice, a judgment to the Gentiles and to all of the isles and to the whole earth, and that he shouldn't fail or be discouraged. And a lot of us are discouraged as we see what's going on in Ukraine or in modern day times, what's going on throughout the earth, throughout the world. The injustice is being done. 
with those injustices that are being done, if you are a child of God within his system, within the body of Christ, uh, a child of God that's being illuminated, that out of this chaos, you could see God bringing order, that his will is being done, that he is doing something. Synonyms for just are fair and upright, which is very close to the Bible's usage. The Bible's definition of justice is conformity to a rule or a standard. And that's why we look at God's statutes, judgments, and his precepts as being just and what is right. Uh, however, the Bible's normal standard is God's own holy character, not a set of laws or statutes a human might have in mind as we relate to the governments of men. But biblically, biblically, then justice is measured against God's holy character, which is reflected verbally in his law or more broadly in, in the word of God, in his word. That's where justice or that's where it's more or less re- reflected at because we know his law is righteousness, that he's righteousness. He's establishing righteousness within the earth. God's justice is never divorced from his righteousness. He never condemns the innocent. He never clears the guilty. He never punishes without undue severity. Never fails to reward righteousness. His justice is perfect justice. So we see God's the only one that has that capability of displaying perfect justice. The biblical example of divine justice may anger or offend a whole lot of us for God's judgment of his justice. We think about uh, Uzzah. You remember Uzzah reached out and caught the Ark of the Covenant from falling off the animals, that the oxen that it was be carrying on, and uh, God struck him dead at that time, and David was pretty upset at him or whatever. But as I presumed, uh, uh, he was in his mind, in his way of catching the ark rather than fall, but God had said that he shouldn't touch it or that we shouldn't handle that and that God struck him with severe judgment at that time. That was the justice of God. God's punishment is not always immediate, but we see the examples of God's judgment of the justice of God carrying out pretty rapidly in a lot of Old Testament cases in which we see the severity of what sin is, that how God deals with sin. We have to deal with sin with severity. It's a severe thing. It's in the small things also. Uh, the story of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons that he struck dead for lighting, uh, using strange fire to light the incense of one of the altars that he had, his law specifically forbade that. Sometimes we don't see the severity of God within his statutes when he says do not do a, don't do a certain thing. But it is meant there that sin to transgress against God's statutes and laws because his statutes and laws, all of these is a part of his character, it's part of who he is, and 
we're sinning against all sin is against God. Just like he told Adam not to eat of that tree. Well, Adam ate of the tree, so he died, and God had told him that the day he eat of it, he shall surely die. But God delayed his death some hundreds of years. But it was so God could show his grace and mercy during that time. And that's what I was saying. Just because justice is delayed doesn't necessarily mean that justice is denied. God deals with it in his own time, in his own way, because God is far beyond us in understanding. And at the very least, there are sometimes confounding in the face of what we learn about a merciful and a patience of God. And what happens is we concentrate on one attribute, or a single attribute of God. If we say God is love, if we say God is merciful or compassionate, sometimes if we put too much emphasis on that particular attribute, the characteristics of God, then we peril, there's parallel loss in other areas because of the balance of a wholeness of God. We have to take in consideration the wholeness of God, and that's what he's trying to make us whole individuals being able to deal with different things, different aspects of what he's forming or making in us. Uh, perhaps we have diff- have difficulty because we do not understand the linkage the linkage between four vital biblical concepts. These are concepts of biblical concepts that's very vital to it, to God of the person of God. That is holiness, justice, sin, and grace. Those are very vital, and there's a linkage in between, and that's why we continue to take Jesus, the yoke of Jesus Christ upon us and learn of him. That's why he says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves, because we must be taught. We have to learn and, and, and have fellowship with him and become acquainted with him to know him. That's why I said when the people focus too much on feeding the needy and feeding the poor and doing the works. Those things you should do, but you should be linked to God. That Those should come forth from serving God, from being a servant of God. We may not grasp the seriousness of holiness by failing to see the purity God requires. God requires pureness. That's what holiness is. It's singleness. It's oneness. It's a single, and that's why we have to end up purging ourselves of everything that's not like God. Anything that's not like God, we have to put off the old man so we can be incorporated into God, into Jesus Christ, having fellowship with him in the Son. There's no darkness within God. The darkness comprehended it not. Uh, we may have an unbalanced perspective of, of justice, and I see that throughout the nation, secularly and religiously in the, in the churches, that unbalanced perspective of justice. We may understand the debt, we may un- misunderstand 
the deadliness of sin because all sin is destructive, even small sin, what we call small sin or, or venial sins or whatever, these sins that sometimes we, we look at it, it's like people saying they told a white lie or whatever, but a lie is a lie. So all sin, God says all sin is against him. We may see little need for grace for ourselves because a lot of us think we're good enough. And, and that's what, you know, I worry about a lot of people that think that they're good enough and that in a way they're saying that they don't need God because within themselves they have determined that they're all right. Not realizing the problem of the vulgarity of them, of the vulgarness of the insignificance uh, of the profaneness of them that they can't be in God they can't be in the same realm of God they're they're rejectors of God or in rebellion against God Uh, as we keep going there we say before we can understand divine mercy we must first understand the seriousness of sin and the necessity of divine justice. Before we can understand divine mercy we must understand divine justice and see, notice the seriousness of sin. And if once we notice, uh, understand the seriousness of sin we try to depart from all sin. We we don't want sin to touch us. That, that's what we fear God had. As Joseph said, how can I lie with you and sin against God. You know, how can you do anything? And that means keeping God in the utmost of our mind, having God in the foremost of our mind, that every thought is brought into the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. How does this affect me and my relationship with God, with the Godhead? Divine justice is linked to righteousness. Divine justice is linked to righteousness. God's justice is according to righteousness. And that's why what he does, he imputes his righteousness unto us when he justifies us. When he puts us in right standing with him, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed unto us. And that's something we walk in and have to develop and become examples of made in his image, in his likeness. Notice what I'm saying. Made in his image and likeness. It's not that we are making. I mean that we are made, but we are being made in the image of his likeness. In other words, this is a way of life. This has to be a, a way of life that you're pulling off. You continually sin. And that evil justice in God does not exist because every judgment is according to his righteousness. So if he destroy a city, if things happen... We know that all things come from God. Things that happened, the things that happened to Job, all of these things came through God. But God is not evil in doing these things. It it just shows the justice of God. Evil justice can't be attributed as when Pharaoh kept hardening his heart in the things he was doing. Even though God was in these things, evil or wickedness can't be contributed to God in other words that's of our own making of our own doing just because God ordains it it doesn't change that though Uh, 
every evil justice in God does not exist because his every judgment is according to his righteousness. For there is absolutely no unrighteousness in God. How can God be unrighteous? That's what Abraham, he was a friend of God. He knew God couldn't be unrighteous. And I think we have situations there where Job is kind of accusing God of some of this uh, being unrighteous in a certain way of doing, uh, twisting something. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to speak this later on, but it may fit in better right right here. I'll pull this through my notes there with the word crooked it. And that word crooked it, uh, avant comes in the book of Ecclesiastes 1 and 15. But uh, it links to a perversion of justice and it seems as though that's what Job was doing in a way, accusing God of doing something wrong, accusing God of injustice or whatever. But Job was trying to de- defend, and like I said, a lot of times we'll put ourselves in the good and put God in the wrongs. You know, we'll justify ourselves or see ourselves as being good. Uh, it's Job 8 and 3. It says... Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert righteousness? Uh, yeah, surely God will not do wickedly, wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert justice. He won't do that. And so Job here, and if you read that chapter, kind of Job is saying that God had turned on him. God had become his enemy. God was doing all these things, but that's because he didn't fully understand God. And I told you, if our comprehension is lacking, if our understanding is lacking, it's because we hadn't patiently waited upon the Lord to reveal itself. Now, waiting upon the Lord, we can't be murmuring or a, a murmuring complaining, but throughout the course of life, it's looking unto God for a resolution of the situation knowing that all these things is coming from God. I think there was a good answer when Job said that though he slay me, yet will I serve him. But God actually wasn't slaying, uh, destroying him. He was allowing Satan to do it, but it was for a betterment of Job. It was making Job better and giving him a clearer understanding of God. See, sometimes suffering and affliction brings us to a better clarity of God and the operations of God. Through suffering, it's just like Jesus Christ, he learns obedience for, through the things that he suffered. If we come through suffering in a certain way, there's a bonus for us if we come through without murmuring and complaining. Uh, the justice of God is always an expression of his perfect righteous holy character. The justice of God is always an expression of his his perfect, righteous, holy character. Even though he had said that he was going to come down and see what the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah as he had heard. Not that God doesn't hear or know everything and understand all things, but it was showing you from a personal vantage point this is not some gossip or someone telling. God actually seen the wickedness of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
remember that night that the angels had came down and they tried to go with the, the, the men angels that had came down and Lot had offered up his wife but the men still tried to push and push their way into Lot's door so if God rains fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah it's a righteous act of God because it's part of the judgment of God and that's how justice is brought forth through the judgments of God sometimes they are harsh judgment but it brings equality uh, it brings uh, uh, the right outcome to the person that that's been oppressed to the person that's been afflicted to the person that the wrong has been done to God has acted in a fair way to bring about retribution or put this back in the right standing of of the proper maintenance and administration of his laws that he had said thou shalt not kill so that you have killed now God came and called someone to kill you he said if man spill man's blood then God will allow man to spill his blood because he has to give account for for what he did so sometimes the sword or the arm of God is evil men he uses evil men to carry out his sentences a lot of times. So situationally, God is still acting, but it's an act of justice. God's justice prevailing. That's why when Jesus Christ comes back, he said he's going to bring justice to the earth. So he's going to shake all of the foundations. The foundations shall be shaken, but it's going to be some putting up. And it's going to be putting down because actually it's him laying the root of the, the axe at the root of the tree and every tree that his father had planted shall be hewn down at the root because he's establishing righteousness in the earth he's purging and cleansing the earth and he's bringing about these judgments so out of all of that chaos there is a perfect unity coming a perfect peace biblically justice refers to conformity of a, uh, to a rule or to a norm. I, I told you that a while ago when I was defining it uh, secularly. If life and salvation were a game, we would say that God plays by the rules. And it, if we are a nation of laws, it's really pitiful and pathetic just how bad we skew the laws that we say that we are a nation of laws to uphold. And we see this politically and, and being accepted by the church as as condoning, uh, 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 being complicit in the world's wrong, in the world's evil. And that's what happened during the time of Isaiah. Politi- politically, Israel or the Jews were doing wrong and they were being oppressive. But the church and the laity and the members joined right in with it instead of being lights to the world and doing that which is good, that which is just, they did the very opposite. So God's justice, their idolatry, their covetousness led to captivity because all of that brings you into bondage. God's justice carried them into captivity. If life, and uh, he sets them and never deviates from them. So that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for us is because sins had to be paid for. 
sins had to be paid for. And he took his our sins upon him. And that's why we have to continue in his word and in certain conditions that we have to meet to continue under that banner of having eternal life and actually that his spirit would empower us, giving us the ability to become the sons of God because through his laws, through his working, he opens up the understanding of his people and he shows them a better way. He, he shows them to wait the way of overcoming, but not in their sin. He saved them from their sin, not to continue in sin. Uh, the norm of justice is his own holy character, and that's what I said last time. That's the norm. That's the norm is of justice is his holy character. That's who God. That's what Abraham knew about God. That's that's Abraham knowing God. What God does is always consistent with who he, who and what he is. It's it's no inconsistencies with God. God is not a capricious God. That's why with his anger it burns because God doesn't just jump up and do something. You remember I said when he killed Nahab and Abihu or when he killed Ananias and Sapphira, it wasn't a, a capricious act. It wasn't a, a momentary act. You remember he told Moses, stand back and let me destroy this people. Well, he was not saying bluffing or whatever, but he was testing Moses with that, his reaction. Well, because God knew what he could do because God doesn't repent. He's not a man. He shouldn't. He's not going to turn or change. He changed not. That's one part of his nature is that he's changeless. He doesn't change. God is always consistent. His righteousness is absolutely pure. There's no shadow of turning in him, according to James 1 and 17. James 1 and 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and coming down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. In other words, he don't vary. There's no inconsistency with God. He's solid. He's the same always, always, throughout eternity. Neither shadow of turning. There's no shadow of turning in God because, like I said, that's that's part of his nature, his attribute, his immutable character. Uh, his righteousness, oh, uh, as I said, uh, there's no shadow of turning in him. Uh, he is utterly incapable of an unholy or unrighteous act. We call people crooks because they are crooked. God is absolutely straight. Now, we can use that word crooked in different ways a little bit later on or whatever. But God is straight, and there is no unrighteousness in God. We, that's the problem with Job didn't see. Uh, he, he came to see. He came to the point seeing that although all these things that was happening and dealing with Job, God wasn't unrighteous in allowing it to, to happen or whatever. Even though Job hadn't sinned, his friends was accusing him wrong. One was a traditionalist. I think it was Bildad that was a was the younger one, and he was kind of self-centered and saying things from his point of view or whatever. And, uh, 
you had different ones with different viewpoints, but what they were saying, none of it was applicable to Job, but Job was talking in such a way, not that it, it condemned, but wanting counsel from God, a, a conference with God, he not understanding God totally as after all he went through all of this, that gave him a better insight, a a better perspective. He saw God. He says he had heard about him with the hearing of the ear, but now he see God. He understand God. Uh, Praise for the Lord's mercy. That is Isaiah 42nd is one of the first servant songs. I told you it's one of the songs. And that's why it makes us happy. It gives us to sing something to sing about and give praise to God about is because of his mercies. Because he's a just God, and that's what we glory in. If you read that 42nd chapter, remember I told you that was a millennial reign. There's a lot of good things happening for the remnant. That's because the judgment of God is falling, which brings about justice throughout the whole earth. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so with that justice coming about, it's a glorious finish. It's something to sing praises to God about. It says, Psalms 103 and 6, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all of the oppressed. The living says he gives justice to all who are treated unfairly. Because that's who God is. He's a friend of those. uh, he's, He's the one that in other words, if we can find out with fairness of being oppressive, we could, once we start seeing those things through spiritual eyesight, we start glorying in God and glorying that we are children of God and that he had revealed these things unto us. That's why we're singing a new song. He's working a new work within the earth. We see that work, but it's a glorious work and it only brings good to us His children. Zephaniah 3 and 5 says, The Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust person knows no shame. That's the amplified version. Read that carefully and listen that he does no injustice, which we just earlier broke that down. There's no injustice in God. He would not do any injustice but he brings justice to light. Now let's read that in the living ver- version to get a little bit clarity. Either I could just speak it out as to what that says. But the living says, But the Lord is there within the city. In other words, as Amos said, Is that evil a calamity happen in a city and I have not done it? So God's here. God's everywhere. That's why it says he's going to bring it to the Gentiles or to the isles. In other words, to all nations or to all people. God's visiting his people. He's visited the earth to take out of the earth to establish a people in the earth. It says, But the Lord is there within the city and he does no wrong. Day by day his justice is more evident. Day by day. That's why I say it gets clearer that his justice is more evident, but no one heeds the wicked no no shame. They're keeping on in their wickedness but each day we're seeing that his justice is evident. He's carrying these things out. 
Okay, according to John, the fifth chapter of John, I can do nothing on my own initiative or authority. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. That is, his judgment is fair, righteous, and unbiased. Because I do not seek my own will, but only the will of him who sent me. Now that's Jesus Christ declaring about his works and the things that he do. And he says, just as he hear, he judge, and that his judgment is just and it's fair. Uh, the living reads, but I pass no judgment without consulting the Father. I judge it as I'm told, and my judgment is absolutely fair and just. For it is according to the will of God who sent me, and is not merely my own. That's, that's a strong statement. We need to take heed to that. In other words, saints, a lot of people say, well, you remember the Bible says don't judge, and he's telling saints not to judge. I think that's in Matthew 7 and 1. I think what he's kind of iterating there is like what's iterated there about judging not for what measure you judge, that's the same measure you shall judge by. So it's not that you're not judging, but be careful what standard of measure that you use to judge by. And I told you, justice and righteousness is by Jesus Christ, it's by God, it's by the Word of God. So that's how what we use is our determining factor, is the Word of God. That's the standard that we use. It. That's our measuring stick, as he told him to measure the temple in the book of Revelation uh, what it was 15 and 1 or something like that well as he measures the churches as we measure as we standing by that plumb line as we being measured out with what measure we meet would be measured unto us so I'm looking and the Bible says well don't commit adultery or don't lie don't steal or don't do all these things well that's what I'm forming by basis of my judgment on it says don't be unequally yoked. Bad association corrupts good manners. It says that if you don't take care of your own house, you're less than an infidel. So we're using the word of God as a criteria to us judging. That's, that's what we have to have in our conscience because as we being spiritual and he that is spiritual judge at all things, and this would contaminate me if I didn't. Remember I was telling you about vulgarities and vulgarness or whatever because the scripture says put away foolish talking and all jesting and let not no, uh, none of this proceed from out of your mouth because that's what's within a man comes out of man. That's what defiles the man. So if we're using all kinds of foulness and uncleanliness, that's the darkness of our heart, the darkness of our soul that man, that individual should be put to death. We should be continually putting him, him to death, yielding not our members unto unrighteousness, but we should yield our members unto righteousness. We shouldn't let Satan use our members, it says, because him that defile the body of the temple of God, God would destroy. So we will have to stop allowing Satan and you and it's going to take Jesus Christ to help us there's a many a thing I pray for it. don't you pray a lot of time 
that Jesus would help you overcome that because you can't overcome it by yourself. The Spirit has to give you the power and the grace to, to overcome it. We're living by faith and through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that he would give me the power to overcome these things. It's by his Spirit, though, that this is accomplished. It's by his Spirit. That's why I say it's without Christ. So if we're doing a good work, it's by his Spirit. We don't have anything to boast of. His Spirit is what's doing the work. So if we're overcoming, it's because of the Spirit within us. It's Christ within us because we're sitting in heavenly places, and it's Christ doing the work. So his righteousness, we have to have his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That's what floats our boat. Romans 2, I'm going to have to read the first four verses to put this in the proper context. It says, well, I'll read the living first. It says, well, you may be saying, what terrible people you have been talking about. He says, but wait a minute, you are just as bad as they are. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you're talking about yourself, for you do these very same things. That's what I say. I'm in, we're all in the same boat. The only one of us that wasn't in that boat is Christ. So Jesus, so we, we, we have to get the beams out of our own eyes. And as we clear them out of our own eyes, we go back and embrace our brothers and sisters and try to help them overcome because we know how hard it was for us. That's why Peter was saying uh, about we shouldn't lay this burden on the Gentiles of laws that we couldn't keep ourselves. When they were saying uh, the council at Jerusalem, what they were saying, they said they shouldn't lay all these things on the Gentiles. They, they wasn't even able to do them. That's what the Pharisees do. They laid men with burdens them themselves can't carry that they wouldn't even touch. And so why would you oppress somebody else you wouldn't want someone oppressing you? If we come from oppressed people, wouldn't we start standing up for oppressed people? Wouldn't we start standing up for the widow? Wouldn't we start standing up for those that are being rightfully mistreated? Wouldn't we stand up against injustices and not just tolerate sin? And we know that God in justice will punish anyone who does such things as these. So do you think that God would judge and condemn others for doing them and overlook you when you do them? It's like we looking at the Jews and say, well, God rejected the Jews. God cast them out because they did the same thing. And if we do the same thing that they did, he's going to reject us and cast us out because if they were the natural branches, if they were the natural tree and he cast them out, how much more easily it is for the cast us out if we've been grafted in. So if he throws the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites out for contaminating the land, for doing things that's idolatrous, well, God brings light to the Gentiles. Those are heathen, those are Gentiles or whatever. So God brings light to us so we can see why God disallowed or cast other people out. That's our example. That's an admonition to us. So we should say, well, we're not going to do those same things because if he did destroy them for doing it, he's going to destroy us for doing it. We're not above anyone else. He says, 
Don't you realize how patient he is being with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see that he's been waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sin? His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's the mercy and grace of God. He was waiting for you to see the error of your way. See, that's why I say justice wasn't delayed. Now, if God had was waiting till we would repent in turn, for God to be just, He still have to punish our sin. He still have to punish us for those transgressions. Enter, enter Jesus Christ. Okay, so those sins that they committed, what they're doing, I died for that individual. I, I died for him. That sin is on me. Okay, so now that individual lives because Jesus Christ took the punishment. So God is just in just we're justified in Christ Jesus because by believing on him and receiving his righteousness, God no longer looks upon us as a sinner because he was our sin bearer. He took that. He was a perpetuation. He atoned for us. So that's the advocate with the Father if we continue in him. That's why he says we need to continue in his word. We need to believe Jesus Christ. We need to be believers in him. Uh, I might read just the first verse of the Amplified because he, he uses that word that this nation has become. And that's a nation of hypocrites. Hypocritical nation. It says, therefore you have no excuse or justification. Every one of you who hypocritically judges and condemns others for in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself because you who judge from a position of arrogance or self-righteousness are habitually practicing the very same things which you denounce. And we know that the judgment of God falls justly and in accordance with truth on those who practice such things. So that's why I say God's judgment or God's justice is who he is, so we don't get passes. We don't get that pass. Now, he may be giving us time. He may be delaying the sentence until we receive grace and mercy. Now, he grant Noah found grace at the sight of the Lord, right? So, with grace, we walk by faith. So, God's grace is shared through his faith that we heard the word of God. Now we depart from our sins, believing that Jesus Christ had died for our sins and took his sins upon himself. So that's our pardon right there. So we, if we died to sin, we bear it with him, which is baptism, right? That's We're baptized in the Christ. So that's symbolic of death. But if we're a new creation, which is the resurrection, rising up to walk in the newness of life, we're new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. That means in that new creation, we were created for good works. We are being regenerated. So we're not the same person we were. Was. That man died. That's a dead man. That's the old man. The new man liveth in me, who's created after righteousness in Christ Jesus. That's who we're serving. That we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We're no longer our own. Our bodies are no longer ours. 
we do, we live to do the will of God. He says, "Lo, I come in the volume of the book; it is written to do your will, O God." So, under this new covenant, I come to do the will of God. You remember, I, I was telling you, you live to do some. We're living to do someone else's will. We're not living for self any longer. Perversion of justice. Perversion of justice. Ecclesiastes 1 and 15. What is crooked it cannot be straightened, and what is defective and lacking cannot be counted. Uh, so, you remember I said some of us, or some of you or your father, the devil, what is crooked it, it can't be straightened out. God had created it for that way to have a contrast with what good and evil is. We have a contrast. There's two seeds within the earth. There are some people that are of their father the devil. That's what he told the Pharisees. So even within the church, we see some of them that are not ashamed to feast at the love feast. In, in other words, at the communion table. They wasn't scared of Satan's ministers of being transformed in the angels of light. So God indeed requires us to strive to be perfect and to live according to his ideas, no longer after our ideas, our thoughts, our ways, or whatever, we're living for him. Uh, sometimes, though, we can create stress for ourselves when we have expectations of perfection because, as Solomon teaches, our world is not perfect. We're not living in a perfect world, and sometimes we have higher expectations of ourselves and others and we see crookedness in politics and in the church and everywhere. But the crookedness is not... God didn't call us to chicanery and trickery to preach evil. Now the church and the, and the world is divided there. See what I mean? That's why the it's very dangerous when you see evangelicals and the church world getting behind politicians and getting entangled in the world because this is Satan's world. Satan is the God of this world. It cannot be straightened out. It cannot be redeemed. God had condemned them. If the world is condemned and those that love the world is condemned, that's why he tells his love not the world. The world is already condemned. You can't straighten the world out. You can't save the world. So, if we are of God's, we have to view the world as in the world, but not of the world. We're in the world, and we have to be very careful of that. God has blessed the nations tremendously, and with those blessings comes the ability to overcome many obstacles. And we talk about different leaders and different people and different nations or whatever. A lot of those are children of people of God trying to overcome. And they're like David. They're like Elijah. They're like all of God's servants. They're like Job. In other words, they have shortcomings. But now that we have the Spirit of God, we won't fail or we won't tire. We'll continue pushing on because nothing prevails against the church. 
He's in, the spirit in us is pushing us to be overcomers. We're striving for perfection. We start pulling off the old man and whatever hinders us from running this race, whether it be family, whether it be anything else. And, I, you know, I was telling you about relatives and trips and things. Because the minute you're trying to do something good and spend all you have on what you do, the minute you come back, you will fall in a hole, something happens, and you say, I wish I'd have saved that money. I wish I wouldn't have it. And you may not have the time that you thought you would have because the world always promises a good time. It always promises happiness and joy, but it doesn't fulfill. The world is not satisfied. And it's always crooked. In other words, it's always out for sale. There are aspects of our surroundings that are simply broken, and words cannot be unsaid, deeds can't be undone, and crookedness cannot be straightened out. So a snake is a snake. So some things are meant to be that way, but we're children of God, and we have to start having a discernment of spirit. We have to have a certain understanding. That's why it says, I'm calling you out of the world. It calls us out of the world. We're called to liberty, but the liberty is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's where our liberty lies. This axiom, axiom that's spoken of in Ephesians 1 and 15 about that which is crooked, it cannot be made straight, is connected. Solomon's the Ecclesiastes is more or less the paragraphs are joined or connected together. Whereas in the book of Proverbs, some of them, uh, some of the sayings are kind of disjointed. But this 15th verse goes along with the 14th verse where it's Solomon spoke from the aspect of all the works that are done under the sun. He spoke from a, a humanist, a humanistic perspective. In other words, all this vanity and vexation of spirit because he looked at it from under the sun and not in heaven, not in a spiritual way. We look at the heavenly places whereas he was looking for things doing done in the world under the sun. Giving verse 15 its context. All the works of man, everything in this cosmos, and when we say cosmos, we're talking about a cosmological order, in other words, of the world, you remember I say Satan is the God of this world. So all that's done, all of the different governments that, that meet many of different governments in the world, but Satan is the progenitor of them all. But everything, God is sovereign, so God is still ordaining and using it as he see fit. God is still running the world. He hadn't created it and left it off to itself. This world, apart from God, includes a crookedness that cannot be rectified. That's why he destroys the world. He said, this world is passing away. This world shall be destroyed. There's a new world order, a new heaven and a new earth coming. The number of things lacking all of man's work is so great as to be uncountable. In every area, in every avenue, in every venture, uh, venue, all these things. By way of definition, the Hebrew word translated crooked 
is that word I told you when I was telling you about Job is Avon. I guess I'm pronouncing it right, uh, which is to be forced is to forcibly pull something from a person's grasp, or to obtain by retching with violent twisting movements. That's the world crooked. They're they're tugging of fighting with one another. Their covetousness, their perversion. It's perverted. It's turned. The word crooked it has all those synonyms going wrong with it. The essence of it is, it is the assertion of one person's will against another's, and the result is damage that can never be truly repaired, a, a, a relationship that can't be restored. It's a separate, the Satan's house is divided against itself. Whereas every the, the, the world of God, God's world, in other words, is is about unity. It's about one. It's not about anybody else's will. It's about the will of God. It's about His word. This is about God's word, and that's foremost. That's where the unity is. Is is in His word because that's the definition of who God is. That's His attribute, the righteousness of God, the word of God, God's law. So we, He wants us to be one, as Him and the Son are one. As him and the son are one, we need to be one with them, them dwelling in us. We are all one. Uh, it means it can mean wronging someone or dealing perversely with someone. Uh, the book of Psalm 119 says, Let the proud be ashamed, for they deal perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thine precepts. And you know, Someone's always trying to trip you up or try to find a way to deal in a self-serving way against you. And that's why I say governments use different administrations or or different organizations or whatever to get their wealth. That's what they're feeding off of, but it's with the idea that they're feeding the media. They're doing these things and they government, but everything is self-centeredness. It's a crookedness that can't be straightened out. Because the world is self-centered, because Satan is the great narcissist it's itself. It indicates turning things upside down, uh, upsetting of the natural order. And that's what I say. We even see that secular where the, in the United States in the last five or six years, politically and religiously, we are seeing the natural order being upset. They're not thinking about the rule of law or what law means. They're looking to see how they pervert law at every turn. Every turn is a perversion of law. That's why they say the Supreme Court now today is a joke. We've lost this day. We, that's why when we say God every day is getting more evident every day, but the world doesn't see that because the world is what? Blind and deaf. They're blind and deaf. Their wickedness had made them that way. Know now that God had overthrown me and had compassed me with his net. Uh, the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the wicked, but he makes crooked the way of the wicked. He protects the immigrants and cares for the orphans and widows, but he turns topsy-turvy the plans of the wicked. So at the same time, it's being synonymously done that he's protecting the immigrant, the alien, and he cares for the orphans and the widows. But in all of this that's going on, 
his judgment of justice, he's turned the topsy-turvy, the plans of the wicked. And the wicked are being dealt with by God now at this time. That's why it says, fret not thyself because, because of evil doers. And it's the judgment of God that's falling. It is his justice that he's bringing to earth. And we're actually seeing that. He tells his children that they'll be able to see righteousness established in the earth. Finally, it can refer to subverting someone in his cause and falsifying the scales. Lamentations 3.36 and Amos 8.5, where the people said in Amos 8.5, Hear this, you trample down the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When when will the new moon festival be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath ended so that we may open the wheat market? making the effort smaller and the shekel bigger. In other words, it's no repentance as seen in the book of Revelation. They continue on doing wrong and they're waiting for opportunity to do wrong. They're waiting for opportunity to do wrong. Notice that the world has gradually taken away their the Lord's Day. They call it Sunday. But the world has gradually made it so you can sell, do anything on any day of the week. Because it's all about materialism. It's about covetousness in themselves. Uh, We go start to end this right here. But Isaiah 10 and 10, 1 through 4, we see where God brings judgment upon his people. He says, whoa, judgment is coming to those judges who issue evil statutes and to those magistrates who constantly record unjust and oppressive decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of rightful claims so that the widows may be spoiled and that they may plunder the fatherless. And so God's going to destroy them and he's going to destroy all that's going on. He says, now what will I do in the day of God's punishment and in the storm of devastation which will come from far away. To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth for safekeeping? Nothing remains but to crouch up among the captives of fall dead. So, as we see in storms and earthquakes, and all the people's bones being carried away through floods, like through Dallas and through Kentucky and Tennessee, all these places, God's working. God's in all of these things, and He's bringing about good in the earth. For those that know the Lord, but he's bringing about his justice way. He establishing a kingdom that shall not be taken away from his people. His righteous reign and rule is coming. It's being established in the earth. That's the stone that was carved out without hands that has smote the image of the ten toes. This, this world is falling. The kingdoms of the world is becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're working with him as co-heirs and joint heirs with Christ to establish by faith his, the law of God, the righteousness of God upon earth. We're working to help establish that as his children. Heavenly Father.